And uh, Pastor Spring, would you remain just for a moment? You're at the end of the line. Can we just show our appreciation for Pastor Spring and the work that she's done this week? Thank you. It said director, but she's like director, producer, executive producer. She's the whole deal. And uh, I don't think she slept in like two weeks. And so, uh, parents, if you know your kids had a great time this week, why don't you stop down the hall in just a few minutes when you pick up your kids and show her your appreciation on a personal level. Thank her because she has done a, just a tremendous job. And what was so neat about what the kids d- did this week was they just they learned such positive stuff from the Bible. Did you catch those verses that the kids signed for us? Such positive, uh, wonderful messages that are going to stick with them and are going to be hidden in their heart and that can't be taken away. There's a reason that the Bible is the bestseller in the history of the world. Uh, because, whoop, I knocked my microphone off. I'm so excited to talk to you right now. Huh? Uh, there's a reason the Bible is the bestseller in the history of the world because it has so many good lessons and so many ways in which our lives can be changed if we get in tune with what God has for us in our lives. It just so happens for you who are visiting today that you're here at the very last message of a series that we've been doing called Repossessed, which is godly wisdom for reestablishing joy in your home. So maybe you're here today and you came to hear the kids sing and you're hoping that I don't preach for 45 minutes. That's cool. But uh, hopefully today you'll leave with a lesson for you today that maybe you can take back to your home and help increase the joy uh, that you and your household are operating with. And so uh, this is the very last part of the series, and I don't want to, uh, I don't want to lag right here. I want to uh, just get right into the scriptures this morning and talk about what we're going to talk about. So if you have your bestseller with you, or you have it on your phone, it will be up on the screen. If you don't have it, we're going to turn to Exodus chapter 20 to begin today. And then in just a little bit, we're going to turn over to the book of 1 Timothy and the sixth chapter of 1 Timothy to sort of learn our last life lesson in terms of uh, this repossessed series. Exodus 20 is a very popular, very famous passage in the Bible because Exodus 20 contains the Ten Commandments. Uh, The Ten Commandments that God gave Charlton Heston on the top of the mountain that he brought down to the people of... I'm sorry, Moses at the top of the mountain and uh, brought down to the people of Israel and... Uh, began to tell them how living for God was better than living for the way that they had previously lived and how God wanted to partner with them in establishing and creating a nation like no one had ever seen before. Uh, The Bible has that story of the Israelite people and God desiring to turn them into a nation uh, that the world had never seen before, but their failure and their inability to become the people that God intended them to be. And it sets us up for the need for Jesus Christ to come and give us a personal God, one who steps into our lives and meets us on that spiritual level and begins to develop in us the people that God designed us to be. In fact, Jesus called it the kingdom. And so you had the kingdom of Israel that could not accomplish all that God had for them to accomplish. But hopefully, by the end of time, the church of Jesus Christ, or what he calls the kingdom of God, will be able to accomplish what God has for human beings to accomplish. This is the very last commandment of the Ten Commandments. And I compared some of the law codes that predated the Ten Commandments with the Ten Commandments. Perhaps you remember those from social studies or humanities class, the Code of Hammurabi or the Code of Ernamu. Some of those are law codes that predate the Hebrew law code, the Israelite law code, but this law code is unique. And it's unique because it starts from a position of human beings recognizing that 
to be the people that they were designed to be for God, they needed to start with their relationship to God. And then that relationship to people, the relationship to other people needed to be addressed. And so the first number of commandments deal with your relationship to God. The second group of commandments deals with your relationship to your neighbor. But the last commandment, the 10th commandment, the final commandment, is about self. It's internal. It's, a, it, it's something about you and how you operate in your heart and in your mind that will lead you to joy if you will follow it. And this is the commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, we don't use the word covet a lot. Have you used covet this week? I have not, except I'm preparing this sermon, so I've used it a lot. But I don't use it in in popular speech. You shall not be jealous of. You shall not be an unhealthily desirous of stuff that belongs to your neighbor. It's a wonderful commandment because it really gets into the heart of, of humanity and it gets into the thing that makes us tick. And it says, listen, you gotta be careful what makes you tick. You gotta be careful what makes you, uh, makes you think you'll be happy because if you get into a place of covetousness or jealousy, you're not gonna be a very happy person. Now, that, you can throw that back up for me, Tina. That scripture right there, Exodus twenty seventeen, doesn't quite translate beyond like the first, you know, comma, right? Any of you guys rocking a servant? Anybody? You got, got a butler? Yeah, a scullery maid? Anybody? No? Okay, so we can't quite go there. And uh, I, don't, I know that there may be one or two of you with a donkey, right? There's some people came in from Streetsboro, Ravenna area. You may own a donkey this morning. Uh, seriously, I'm not even kidding. You stow, stow people, you falsites. If you have a donkey, we need to talk. And uh, I, I, I doubt that anybody has an ox here. Is anybody rocking an ox? Yeah, so we got we to gotta, we gotta bring this forward to the present day. And, and the Bible does that so well. The Bible is so strong because, of course, or anything that belongs to your neighbor, right? So it could come right into the present day. If this was a guy today, if, if, if this commandment was just for a guy it would go something like this. You shall not covet your neighbor's man cave. Or you shall not covet your neighbor's deck, his big screen, his wife, his workbench, his tool chest, his jump shot, his muscle car, his boat, or his bank account. So that's the one for the guys, all right? So don't, don't be jealous of all those things. Ladies, it would go something like this for you. Ladies, you shall not cover your neighbor's, covet your neighbor's flower beds. Uh, her wardrobe her snazzily dressed husband, her perfect decor, her family vacations, her kids' accomplishments, her number of friends, or the number of friends she can trust, right? Now, I don't, I, I'm going to preach a sermon on that one time. Guys just have buddies, but women have friends and then friends that they can trust. So we'll, we'll hit that another, another week, right? Why is that? Well, the Bible has answers, I'm sure. And then if it were for teenagers today, I don't want to forget you because you're in the room, teenagers. It would go something like this. You shall not covet your classmate's talents, your classmate's boyfriend or girlfriend, their newest smartphone, their social life, their rich parents, or their plans for Friday night. You shall not covet those things. Jealousy can put us in a really bad place, can it? It really can. It can get into our, our minds and get into our hearts, and it's based on a very false assumption. Covetousness, jealousy is based on a false assumption. And this is the false assumption. If I can just acquire what I don't have and what others do, I'll be happy. If I can just get 
what others have that I don't have, the things that I see with my eyes, the things that I, I, I see other people have that I feel that I have a right or an entitlement to, if I can just get that thing, I'll be happy. Isn't it interesting that one of the oldest law codes in the world, and there was a lot more laws in the Old Testament. In fact, the Jewish people called the first five books of the Bible just the law or the Torah. But those were the big ten. Those were the first ten laws that God sort of ever lays down for monotheists, right? The Judeo-Christian heritage. That's that's it. And in there, right there, is don't be a jealous, covetous person. The truth is that... That, those Ten Commandments, they really lay out the, the truth for happiness, and that's knowing that you have right relationship with God, and through that relationship you have a purpose in your life, that you have right relationship with other people, and that you don't take advantage of other people, but your desire is to give to others, and finally that you in, are in right relationship with yourself, that there's a level of contentment in which you live that isn't about keeping up with the Joneses isn't about keeping up with the people around you and, and getting that which they have that you think you need, but to be happy and content in what you have because your life isn't made up of goods and services and, and experiences. Your life is made up of what God has called you to do and what he's giving you an opportunity to have. Now, I have kids who are blessed. Their toy room is full of toys. Now, some we buy at Toys R Us, and some we buy at thrift shops, and some we buy at garage sales, but they have a lot to play with. But I'm experiencing something new, something new because now I have a daughter in school, and Sienna will come home, and all of a sudden she'll want something that I've never heard of before. And there's a reason that she wants that thing, because someone else has it, right? She'll go to a neighbor's house, or we went on vacation, and there was a television in her bedroom. That was like it, Right? She came home, and the other night they were watching some Alvin and the Chipmunks before bed. And she's, I said, guys, it's time for bed. We can pick up this episode another day. She goes, I wish I had a TV in my room so I could finish my shows in the evening. And, and I thought, the day will never come, right? The day will never come. But, you know, that was, that's what she thought. She saw it on vacation. Now she wants it. Now, is there anything wrong with desiring something? Not, not too much. I mean, what we're talking about, covetousness and jealousy, that's taking it to a different level. It's not wrong to desire something. It's wrong to fixate on it, think about it, and believe that your contentment and joy will come if you get it. That's where it gets wrong. The other night I was at the Tribe game. It was a great game. The Indians are like on, what, a seven, eight, nine game winning streak? Go Tribe, right? And so it's the year of Cleveland. People are already planning the next parade. Here we go, all right? Everything's, anything's possible now. Uh, so I was at the game the other night, and we're sitting there, and, and all of a sudden, it was a, it was a hot night. It was 80-some degrees, and then we were sitting right directly in the sun, and all of a sudden, a guy came down the aisle with a blue Slurpee. And I looked at that Slurpee, and I thought, I need some blue raspberry in my life. And I, I, and I went up, and Gina made fun of me, but it was okay. And I went up, and I got my slushy. It was fabulous, right? There's nothing wrong with meeting an immediate need. There's nothing wrong with planning and, and, and getting stuff to entertain you or stuff to make your house nicer. The question is, am I developing a sense of, of, of contentment and happiness based in what I can acquire? And do I compare myself to the people around me and say they have that I wish I had it. Because here's the danger. 
Proverbs is the book of wisdom in the Bible. It's, it's just wise sayings. And there's a wise saying in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30, that goes something like this. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Meaning when we're content with what we have and we're in a place of thankfulness and gratefulness for what we do have, life comes because of that. But we're in, when we're in a place where we're constantly looking at what other people have and saying, I wish I had that. If I could just get that, I'd be happy. That rots our bones. It, it, it does something internally that's incredibly unhealthy to us. It breaks down our inner core and zaps us of our happiness. It doesn't add to our happiness. It zaps us. Our entire economy and our entire worldview is based on the concept that the good life is to get more stuff, get more money, get the things you don't have that someone else has, and then you'll be happy. That's so much of what our economy is based on. After World War II, there was an economist, his name was Victor Lebo, and he recognized that the world was changing, and we were post-Industrial Revolution, and we were post-war, and the nature of American manufacturing was going to change, and the nature of American consumerism was going to change. And he forecasted what would happen in the future. And this is what Lebo said, and I quote, right after World War II. Our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life. That we can convert the buying and selling of goods into rituals through which we seek spiritual satisfaction, ego satisfaction in that consumption. Think about that. That, that, was the, that is the premise by which advertising has taken place in the United States for the last 70 years to turn the buying and selling, the acquiring of goods into something through which we achieve spiritual satisfaction. And ego, internal, I'm an okay person, life's good for me, I, I, life's grand in here because I got stuff. That's what Lebo said. That's what we have to do in America if we're going to be able to perpetuate the economy the way it needs to be perpetuated. You've been programmed, haven't you? I know I have, right? If we can just acquire that which we don't have, we will have some happiness. Think about it in terms of Thanksgiving for just a minute. What have we done to Thanksgiving in America? What now takes place at 6 p.m. on Thanksgiving night? Black Friday begins. Think about that for a minute. The day in which we are supposed to give thanks to God, or for those of you who don't believe in God, the universe. I'm sorry. The, the, uh, have you noticed on TV that you no longer uh, say God, you say the universe? Thank the universe. Anyhow, uh, either way, we thank God or the universe. The day that we're supposed to give thanksgiving and be content for the things that we have, we now have the biggest commercial holiday of the year encroaching upon it. And the statement is, leave your family, leave the dishes, don't be thankful anymore, go get what you need. Go get what you don't have that you absolutely need. And then you come home exhausted, and then you get up at 4 o'clock in the morning for the store that didn't open till Friday. And at the end of that time, there is such a sense of satisfaction that you got a big screen TV for 50% off, that you got a terabyte hard drive for 50% off. 
that you got some household good for 50% off. And there's so much joy because of the deal you got. We've been programmed. We've been programmed to believe that joy in life consists of getting stuff. And if we can get it, we'll be happy. The truth is it doesn't bring satisfaction to our souls. It simply doesn't. So much of reality TV today is what? Reality TV is about watching rich people crash and burn. Isn't it? Yeah, I don't watch reality TV. I'm a good Christian. Stop it. You know you've watched some reality TV, right? Not that there, uh, there's some reality TV I love. Anyhow, but what, isn't, that, isn't that so much of what reality TV has turned into? Let's watch the rich people be miserable. Think about that for a minute. There are people that we have an entire entertainment industry watching folks who will never have another material need in their life fall apart emotionally, spiritually, ego-wise. And people like to watch it. Because we know that money doesn't buy happiness. We know that material goods doesn't buy happiness. It doesn't matter the amount of houses, cars, boats that you have. It doesn't matter the vacations you can go on. You can still be miserable, can't you? Can't you? It doesn't bring satisfaction to our souls. I mentioned to you, I just wanted to turn to one more passage today, and it's in 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17 and following. The Apostle Paul writes to his mentoree, a guy named Timothy. And Timothy ministered in a place called Ephesus, which in the Roman world was a very, very affluent place. It was a good place to live, lots of opportunity and and plenty of time for leisure and the ability to enjoy the things that wealth brings. And this is what Paul said to Timothy about the folks in his church. He says, Timothy, command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Catch this last line. That they may take hold of life that is truly life. What a great line, right? Don't think that money and acquiring stuff is the good life. Now, you say, Pastor Matt, I am far from rich. And I understand that in terms of American economy, most of us are far from rich. But in terms of the fact that we live in America, most of us are rich. We are. We're rich. We live in a country where poor people have smartphones. We're rich. We're rich. Transportation. You can go to the grocery store today. Almost everybody in this place can go to the grocery store today. And the majority of you could buy anything there to eat for lunch and not hurt yourself long-term financially. Now, now I didn't say buy 40 pounds of crab legs or three lobster tails, but you could. You could go and do that today. We live in a very rich place. We have so much that I believe that this command, this good word from Paul to Timothy can apply right to our lives today. That the good life, the life that is truly life, is not in desiring that which we don't have. The good life is putting our hope in God 
and allowing him to direct our lives, as verse 17 says, and to begin to do good by other people so that at the time we reach heaven, we'll go, yeah, life mattered. Life was worth it. There were tough things. There were hard things. But I gave what I had to give to others. And God directed me to do so. Three points that I want to make from 1 Timothy chapter 6, and then we'll be closing in a moment. First is this. Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Put their hope in God. The fact is, many of us have our hope in wealth today. If we can just make a little more money and get a little more stuff and get a little more comfortable, if we can get a little more financial security, then we'll be happy. And the truth is, we will be happy when we put our hope in God. And we recognize that God has put us on this earth to accomplish something. And that each one of us, as we learned today from Romans chapter 12, each one of us has specific gifts that God wants us to use to better the world. That's life that is truly life. Life where we're just trying to acquire goods and keep up with the Joneses and and make sure that we get stuff that we don't have. That's not truly life. It rots the bones. There are so many folks who have gotten to that place of financial security, material goods, wealth, and they never got to enjoy it because they got sick. They never got to enjoy it because they mortgaged their family on the altar of gain. Hope in God doesn't allow you to do that. Hope in God says God has a mission for me in this world and a life to come that's better than anything that this world has to offer. If I'll allow God to direct my life, I can do what I was created to do. One of the most famous movies that I like to watch at Christmas time that's ever come out is It's a Wonderful Life, Jimmy Stewart. The entire story is Jimmy wanting to get out of Bedford Falls to experience life the way others have got to experience life, to travel the world, to build wealth, to make his fortune. The moral, of that, the moral of the story of that entire movie is that God had something for George Bailey to do right there in Bedford Falls. And the moment at which he recognized that that was exactly where he was supposed to be and exactly what he was supposed to do, he could then be joyful. He could then be joyful. That can be the same for you and your family. If you're teaching your kids today that happiness comes with gain, you're teaching them a false message. Okay, a false message. Happiness does not come with gain and it is, life does not consist, Jesus said, in an abundance of possessions. That's not life. Life is looking at your creator God and saying, God, what do you want me to do right now with what I have and who I am? And you say, I am broken as the day is long, Pastor Matt. I listened to some of those songs today. That's not me. I'm a mess. God would love to help you clean up that mess. He would love to lift you out of the place that you're in right now so that you can feel like your life is full of purpose and meaning and hope as opposed to despair and loss and sadness. From Exodus to Revelation, God is imploring the people who are listening to him to not put their hope in money and what money can buy, but to do good by others with whatever they have to give and entrusting the care of their life to a God who loves them, giving God their full heart without fear. The second message that is so clear from 1 Timothy here is that we should enjoy what we have. 
and be content in that. I already mentioned to you, you are richer than most people in the world. We can enjoy what we have and thank God for it. How many of you have watched a Veggie Tales in the last two months? If you have kids, you know you have, right? One of the greatest Veggie Tales songs that just sticks in my head over and over again. And you know, I don't even like Veggie Tales. The kids like it, but it's on, I hear it. And it's a little song that goes something like this Because a thankful heart is a happy heart. I'm glad for what I have. That's an easy place to start. What a strong message for us today. A thankful heart is a happy heart. I'm glad for what I have. That's an easy place to start. Folks, you have been given so much, and your life today may have so much untapped potential because you're putting your hope in gaining more rather than putting your hope in God. I encourage you today, put your hope in God and be content with what you have because God has the opportunity to step in to your life and change the way that you process, the way that you think, and the way that you are. What a perfect heritage you could give your children if you told them, God put you on this earth to do good. Will you do it? God didn't put us or our family on this earth just to gain more stuff, just to get more money so that we can be happy. But God has a plan and a hope and a future for us. Plans for good and not disaster. That's what God has for us. The third and final thing this morning is this. Some of you here need to take hold of life that is truly life. And I want to tell you what you have. You may not have wealth by American standards. You may not feel that you're all that talented. You might not even feel like you've got it all together. Most of us don't. But here's what you have. You have a standing offer from God in the form of Christ Jesus, his son. And the standing offer that you have through Jesus Christ is this. You can be right with God. You can be born again, start a new life with your hope in God. And I'll supply the power and the wisdom and the strength for your life to be made new. That's what you have. You have a standing offer from God. It's the story of the bestseller from start to finish that God wants to take broken people and make them whole. So much so that he was deadly serious about it and would allow his son to come and show us how to live and then to erase our sin and guilt and shame for all eternity. It's a good offer. It's a good offer. I implore you today in this, if your hope is in wealth and gain, and if your bones are rotting today, there's a better way. You have a standing offer from God to put your hope in him and to let him bring you the joy and the purpose and the happiness that you've always dreamed of. Will you bow and pray with me? Today, right in this moment, you may be in a place where you go, Pastor Matt, your uh, talk today has impacted me. Something's going on inside of me, and I need to 
embrace that and be interested in perhaps changing the course of my life. Now, there may be some of you here, you've maybe been in church or in churches a long time, and what you recognize today is that you've slipped. Your life right now is about getting the stuff you don't have. You're teaching your kids or your family members that the most important thing in life is gain rather than giving. Today is a moment that you can just commit before God and say, God, I've slipped here. I slipped. Could you pull me up? I, I don't want to put my whole life and hope in wealth and gain. I, I need to reevaluate because I want to live real life, true life, and that's life directed by God, giving to others out of the abundance that he's given me. If that's you today, I want you to make a mental note and hold on for just a minute because I have one more thing to say. Perhaps you're in this place today and you need to accept a standing offer. You have been in a place and you know it where you've been running from putting your hope in God in any way possible and you have been content to pursue life as you saw fit and you know your bones are rotting. You know what's going on inside of you is so stinking negative. Don't leave this place today. Don't leave this place today without praying to the God who created you and beginning to ask him to change you and make you new. Two invitations today. Two things to think about in just these next few moments as we pray. If today you know that you've slipped a bit, that you're not in the place that you need to be, you have been in church, you've known Jesus for a long time, but you're slipping, you're putting your hope in things that aren't life, I'm just going to invite you right where you sit to turn your palms towards heaven, turn your palms up to God, just as a sign of surrender. God, I want to do it your way again. I, I put my hope in the wrong things. Help me, God, to get my life back to the place where it needs to be. And then today, the second invitation. If you've never accepted an offer from God, if you've never encountered his son, Jesus Christ, and you say, Pastor Matt, I am rotting on the inside and I know it I need to change and I need God to help me because I don't have the power to do it myself I encourage you right now to do the same lift those palms towards heaven just as a sign to God that you're serious about it just as a sign to God that you're serious about it God I'm serious I, I don't know you I don't know much about you but I'm going to put my faith in an unseen God that created me knowing that he's changed others and he can change me. Lift those palms towards heaven because he can and he will. Martin Luther King Jr. said, faith is taking the first step when we can't see the whole staircase. Put your faith in God today. I promise you he'll bring you to the top. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for those here today who are dealing with real issues in their life and they recognize, God, that there's a better way. 
but they want to take hold of life that is truly life. I pray first for those today who know that their life is not what it could be, and they don't necessarily know you, God, and they don't necessarily know a lot about you, but they feel something internally in their spirit today, and they know that a spiritual God is connecting with a spiritual human being and saying, today's the day to begin that change. I pray for them today, Lord Jesus, that you would wrap them in your loving arms, that you would pull them close to your side, that you would whisper in their ear in this moment, you are a child of God, and I have a hope and a future for you. Pray for those here who are off track, those here who are not in a good place, and they know what a good place is. They've just wandered from it. I pray, Lord, that you would remind them that life does not consist of an abundance of possessions, but we are to seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all we need will be added unto us. Lord, I pray that you'd give them the strength not to buy in to jealousy and covetousness and consumerism, to put their hope in God, to begin to do good by others again, to teach their children that life is so much more than getting stuff, that, Lord, we would have homes that are happy and joyful because they're full of purpose and hope. I pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For those of you today who said, Pastor Matt, I, I lifted my hands because I don't know a ton about God, I don't know much about Jesus, but I know that I need to make a change. If that's you today, I, I don't want you to leave this place without coming to talk to myself or one of our prayer team. And at the end of the service today, we're just going to be right up here. And I would love to just talk to you today. I'd love to put a resource in your hand that'll help you start your life in Christ. And I want to tell you the most important step you can make to change. Can you stick with me for 30 more seconds? Now I'll dismiss you. The most important change you can make for those of you who know nothing about God, nothing about Christ, but you know you want to change, come back next week. Come back. Because we're going to be preaching messages from the Bible. And there's going to be people here who have been lifted probably from the same place that you're now deep in. They would love to get a hold of you and help you and lift you up. There's going to be a lot of things this week that tell you don't come back. I'm going to tell you, come back. Come back and allow God to begin to have an influence in your life. You said you wanted it today. You said, do you just want to grow your church? No. No, we at Victory Life exist so that we can help people be transformed into the people God designed them to be. All right? No pressure, but feel some pressure. Get back here next week. All right, will you stand? We'll dismiss. You can go get your rowdy children. We'll get you out of here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for allowing us to come into this place. We're blessed. We live in America. We can come worship freely. Thank you, God, for what we have today. I pray, Lord, that the things that we heard, the things that we sang, the things that the kids taught us would go with us today. And that, Lord, we would each know that you have come to give us a life and a hope and a purpose and a future. We thank you, God, for those promises today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.